Welcome to the Tech in Shanghai podcast, the Pearl of the Orient. Shanghai is the city of the future. All systems go full steam ahead. It never stops. Technology, innovation, ambition. It's everywhere. Join us as we explore this new world and talk to the people making it happen. The Tech in Shanghai podcast. The future is now. All right, we are back with the Tech in Shanghai podcast, the podcast dedicated to bringing you everything tech and startup、uh, from the great city of Shanghai,、uh, told through the eyes of the people on the ground making it happen.、Uh, I'm your host John Vallis, and last week on the show we had、uh, Liam Winston, who is、uh, one of the founders of Mobile Now Group,、uh, doing some really interesting work in the mobile industry、uh, here in China. We spoke a lot about social media. Um, and the landscape here in China. So, if you're interested in、uh, in that field, certainly check out last week's podcast and、uh, everything Liam had to say.、Uh, now, today we're、uh, very lucky to have、uh, Pascal Coppens, the managing director of Let's Face.、Um, Let's Face is a very interesting company、um, who digitizes events、um, here in in Shanghai and actually in several other cities in the world, as I'm sure we'll get into. Um, they su- they secured、uh, notable clients、uh, as well as uh, uh, some some interesting、uh, VC rounds. All of that we'll get into,、uh, but again, I won't uh, I won't uh, butcher the the intro. I'll let Pascal describe. But let's face some more detail. So Pascal, thanks for coming on the show today. And、uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Let's Face, what you guys do, who you do it for, and、uh, the status of the company? Okay. Well, thanks for、uh, having me here today. Uh, just uh, maybe explain very shortly about.、Uh, Set up of Let's Face, which is about、um, four years ago in 2009. Set it up.、Uh, really, what we're doing、uh, as a company is、um, to digitize events. So it's a simple、uh, concept, but if you look at the event industry in general, most of it is actually、um, still done very traditional. So there's not a lot of technology being used in the event world, while while in other uh, areas, uh, like sales, marketing, or、uh, HR, you see a lot of systems there to help people to make it more efficient. The event world is still run a little bit traditional, like it used to be 20, 30, 40 years ago. And I believe that、um, Let's Face is, is very well positioned、uh, to make、uh, that standard and make that change in the industry, so that any、um, agency,、uh, PR agency, event agency, or even organizers of event could use one one environment. To develop、uh, their whole event from start to the finish,、right. that's the whole idea of Let's Face. Okay. Now I know we we spoke about some of these things、uh, before the show. I'd like to revisit some of them, but you know, for for listeners who might not have an idea of the landscape here in Shanghai, I mean, this is what this whole show is about: is giving them a little bit of insight into how things work here. I mean, having lived here for how many years now yourself? Well, about twelve, thirteen years. Came to China first time in '96.、Okay. So, all right. Well, I've only been here since two thousand nine, so relative newbie. But、uh, you know, it seems like events are almost a, a daily occurrence, or perha- perhaps multiples a day. You know, it's just as as with everything in in Shanghai and in China right now. There's a lot going on, and there's a lot of companies vying for position and branding and and accessing the market that exists here. So. Am, am I right? First of all, in that assumption, and second of all, is that、uh, one of the reasons why Let's Face has decided to focus on on Shanghai, or, or is there other reasons? No, I, th- I think I mean there's a, there's a few reasons, but、uh, you're totally correct with saying that、uh, Shanghai and China in general, but Shanghai definitely is one of the 
the, the top spaces in the world, I would say, for events. I mean, there's events pretty much every hour, uh, anywhere, in any hotel or mm -hmm. any location. So it's really the place to be. Uh, but also what's important for an entrepreneur like me is to look at size. And, and most of the events in China are actually much bigger and larger than many places in the world. So it gives you, as an entrepreneur, an opportunity to try out on a larger scale uh, new products, new, new ideas. Uh, and in China has a very typical um, market um, acceptance of new things. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really more a, a budget and money issue than it is actually uh, an innovation issue right. here in China. Interesting. And is the, I mean, we've spoken before on the podcast about the adoption of social media and technology in general by the Chinese population and, and how they've kind of leapfrogged the step of, of having, you know, uh, uh, laptops and, and such as we have in the West. They went from not really having a, a connection to the Internet or, or a technological interface mm -hmm. to having smartphones and really, really engaging in them. Is that something... Um, you know, given the work that you guys do, is that something that's, first of all, hugely important, but also, a, you know, a, a great circumstance here in China because people are so willing to engage in, in their mobile platforms and mobile media? Yes, and, and it's not just uh, mobile. I mean, mobile is, of course, the most personal device to, right. to engage with. But, but even if you, and that's a difference we want to make, is, is when you're in an event, it's more about the social engagement, not just the individual engagement. Mm -hmm. and, and you can see that uh, um, the Chinese audience or guests at events are really uh, very excited to, to do things like lucky draws uh, and, and, and other really cool uh, engagement products that they can use on site. Mm. It's, it's for me very important to, to make that difference because I feel that a lot of the, the products uh, that are being used or things that are being, being displayed or, or uh, deployed at events is a lot about um, the, the bells and whistles that I call, like the circus acts. But um, it's actually more about the social engagement that we need to use technology for to, to, to help happen. Right. And I see that happening in China. Now, just to, to log on to that, it's also, uh, we're also in Europe now. And, uh, and we have an office there, and I see that same same uh, engagement happening. The only difference is it takes much longer time. You need to be more cautious on, on what you do. Right. Uh, but it's, it's, it's definitely not just a China, -ish, China thing. Right. I mean, I think the, the type of technology that you deliver to your clients certainly would be engaging anywhere. It's just, again, as, as in so many things in China, there was a void there for so long, and, and it seems like the curiosity level is, is certainly you know, higher here than perhaps anywhere in the world. Um, but in terms of the the actual result of using uh, a service or a platform like Let's Face, can you compare uh, kind of the results that would come for one of your clients that use your platform versus a traditional uh, you know event kind of marketing agency approach? Well, there's there's a few things. Uh, one of the thing is purely if you look at event management. Uh, if you go to an event, um, you have to pre-register. That's just the start, and then um, usually that's not the most exciting part of the event. Uh, it's something that actually can be engaging. It's just nobody's actually doing it, or very few are. And once you are at the event. Um, your first impression that you get of the event is usually long lines waiting, trying to find your name on a piece of paper, mm -hmm. um, looking around. Maybe there's a band there playing, but that's about it. And the band you've seen it a thousand times. Right. So there's no real engagement happening at the pre-phase of the event. Mm -hmm. And that already loses the, the attraction of, of, of a lot of guests at that point. And so you have to make up for that at the event, which isn't really needed. So with Let's Face, what we can do is actually any point at the event to make it a lot more fun, even though it's 
considered an operational, practical, logistic part of the event. The second thing that I think uh, is very different with Let's Face is that we look at every part of the event, whether it's it's a pre-registration or whether it's it's like a survey or or it's anything that uh, could be an animation at the event. We look at it as a as a sensor. So for us, it's a way to capture data. So the brand actually knows what people like, what people want to do, mm-hmm. so they can improve their events over time. Mm-hmm. That means you get a, a, you can calculate your return on investment right? because you really capture what people are doing. Most of the technology used today at events aren't capturing that data and doing something with it, not right. analyzing it. And does, does Let's Face provide its clients with analytics on that data? Yes, or? yes, yeah. we do. Yes, on, on, I mean, both the pre-registration, registration, uh, as well as the entertainment and also the pushing to the social media right. afterwards. So it's, it's the whole flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that analytics really helps to manage uh, future events right. better. Yes. So does that lead in directly to you know, future events with the same company or do you have follow-on services that help them integrate uh, what they've learned and the data they collected from these events toward you know branding branding their company and engaging further in their in their or with their customers outside of the events yes we we, we have a little bit of different view than many uh, event uh, technology solutions out there mm-hmm. is is that we I personally believe that um, that events is all about community and social engagement uh, and so it's usually linked to a brand uh, or an organization that is considered a brand mm-hmm. so I think it's very important that that brand positions themselves at the event so all our products are always branded or white labeled like you say mm-hmm. um, but this means that uh, we actually push the brand information to the to the client so we're behind the scenes right. always so I think that's a little bit a different way of uh, of looking at it than, mm-hmm. than, than normal. So the data that comes out to that is actually going to the brands and to no one else. Right. So we're actually trying to help individual brands um, to increase their event experience over time mm-hmm. and results. Now, is would, let's face, given you know, what you just described, do you have a typical client that, you know, a typical industry that you work with? Is there you know, an ideal client? Because obviously there's all sorts of different events you know, how many are, are, or which are the ones that are most applicable to Let's Face and which have you kind of, uh, you know, directed your your efforts towards? Well, the, the event world is quite large. Right. Uh, there's there's things from, they call it the mice industry, meetings, incentives, conference and exhibition. Okay. Then you have things like brand events. Uh, you have corporate events. You have parties. You have sports events, music events, cultural events, art events. It's, it's endless. Mm-hmm. So um, we've done a little bit of everything, but our focus has really been on trade fairs, and top brand or premium brand events. Okay. So it's kind of an odd combination, mm-hmm. um, but I've made that conscious decision because both of these industries are actually in need of what the under industry is very good at. Right. Uh, the trade fair industry is really in need of more engagement. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's usually pretty boring, if I may say so. Sure. Um, and um, when you look at the, um, at the events, the brand events, it's, it's very engaging but they don't always look at data and, and management in the same way. Mm-hmm. So by doing those two industries, we can help both industries to, to get better. Right, and it seems almost like you focus on one strength of let's face for, for the one and, and mm-hmm. the other strength for the other. And I understand the, 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 the brand uh, industry, uh, of course, and the, the branded events. Can you speak a little bit more about the trade fair? Because li- like you said, trade fairs are exceedingly boring occasionally, yes. and they happen... Ten times a day here in China, so there's certainly no shortage. You know, in terms of 
if I was someone organizing a trade fair here in working with Let's Face, what are, you know, what am I hoping to accomplish above and beyond what I generally am able to do? Well, the trade fair industry in general is quite challenged in competition with the online industry, Alibaba and others. Sure. So they have to find ways to actually attract visitors to come and also to engage them on site. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of trade fairs is, is, is really about the promotion of the trade fair. It's also about the networking on-site, so usually between buyer and seller. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's also about the content, which is often conferences and extra information. So all of these can help, can get help from technology to improve it. Promotion is obvious, like social media, uh, RSVPs, like I say, which are more engaging. Mm -hmm. uh, connect, think about a kind of a LinkedIn for trade fairs. So you, you, you recommend your friend to go to a trade fair. That's kind of the direction you have to think of. Right. If you're on-site, and how can you make that whole trip more uh, effective? Because usually people go to a trade fair, they stay there like a whole day, uh, see 100, 200, 300 boots, and at the end of the day, they can't really remember what they did sure. uh, and what was the most efficient. So how can you make that more efficient? Do a matchmaking system, but also engage more on site. Mm. And then on the conference and content, it's also about providing the information in a more interactive way. Right. Most of the people never find their way to the conferences because they're too busy talking to to actually the people on the trade on the boots itself. Sure. I mean it certainly seems like an industry that's ripe for an infusion of of technology like Let's Face is providing because it's one of those industries like you mentioned that's kind of on the decline as a result of things like Alibaba and other things like it. Um, and it, it just seems like it, it's it's lacking that something. It, there's still certainly a role for it, but it's it's lacking as you said efficiency, interaction, engagement. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I'd be interested in attending an event that uh, yes, was, yes. was using the software. No, and it's not just about the software. It's actually the whole, um, so we use tablets, we use interactive screens, we use big LED screens. So right. it's really about the displays and the experience on, right. on site. And, and I think, I believe that trade fairs, conferences in general, are be people are going to go more and more to, to them for the experience rather than purely to, to connect with people. That's interesting, yeah. Yes. Yeah, you're probably right there. And and does Let's Face have, you know, when, when you work with a client, do you send out a large number of staff for every event to operate these things or do you train your clients to, to operate them for uh, themselves? It's a, it's a very interesting question because we went from A to B. So basically we started off... Um, having our own staff uh, and servicing the events itself. And the main reason was that before we had service staff, mm -hmm. it was very difficult to get clients. Right. Uh, so our first clients expected a total solution. So it's not just a check-in. We also need the hostesses and, 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 and everything around it right. and, and even the flyers and so on. So, But then as we became bigger and bigger and, and did more and more events, we started finding partners that would want to take on that role. Mm -hmm. And so we're actually qualifying these partners uh, trying to work with partners that know that we know can do a good job. Are these agency partners, y like yes. events agencies? Events agencies, or it could be a hostess uh, a company, mm -hmm. or it could be a model company if you right. need models. I mean, there's all, uh, or IT company to provide uh, Wi-Fi support. Mm -hmm. uh, but we still have people in in house that actually support them, and it's kind of like an internal service center for for these companies. Right. And so, am I to understand then that? The learning curve for you know setting up uh, the Let's Face experience at a given event, at a client event, is not that steep. I mean, it's rather intuitive, and once things are set up, they're, they're rather easily to or, uh, organize and then engage in. Well, the biggest 
challenge, I would say, is the internet. And right. and so most of the locations... Common problem here. Yes, most China. of the pro locations in, in China and even in Shanghai don't have proper internet. You right. would not. You would be surprised a five-star hotel not having proper internet, but mm -hmm. it does happen. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where um, we really need to qualify that this is, this is okay. Mm -hmm. And that's where we will spend time on it. But uh, otherwise, yes, it, there's a lot of, uh, of opportunity to, uh, to work with people and, and get it done right. uh, quickly. The learning curve is not that steep, uh, but there is one uh, uh, problem there is that most of the clients want the latest products, right. uh, or at least one of the latest, and usually that is less mature than the others, and mm -hmm. that's where you need more service. I see. Okay. Now, uh, on your website, uh, you mentioned that uh, you work with clients and develop exquisite ideas uh, to deliver them the, the, you know, the service that you guys provide and deliver them solutions that could uh, you know, dramatically enhance the, the, the face of, of their events and engage their, their, their potential customers more. Can you elaborate on that a bit, on, on what you mean by exquisite ideas and, and how that well, works? Well, we, we, so I call the company a creative engineering company, mm -hmm. uh, which pretty much means that we have a creative team and an engineering team, and I value them uh, equally, right. uh, which means that um, whenever a client comes to us and they say, we have a specific problem, um, we will then actually talk together with the creative team of the client, the agency, very often, and come up with a, a new uh, experience that... Um, that could come out of it. One of the examples we did, one of our latest products that we're releasing soon is, a, is an award ceremony products. Uh, most um, award ceremonies, somebody gets an award and then they stand on, on stage uh, and they maybe speak for a few minutes, uh, but it's not a very engaging experience. Mm -hmm. So we were talking with this, this particular event agency, how can we change that? And that's when we came up, oh, we, we should have the audience be able to push like a Twitter wall, but all personalized information and congratulations, even um, fireworks, champagne, uh, whatever bottles that open uh, on the big screen behind them. So it becomes an engaging experience for the users um, in, in the event. Right. And for the speaker, it becomes interesting because now he has a track record of how people who actually congratulated him. Sure, sure. So that kind of thing comes out of uh, a discussion with a, a creative team in, in one of our clients. I see. I mean, it's, it's so interesting how, you know, things like, you know, like you just said, discussing with a client and coming up with ideas, how Let's Face uh, and, and technology in general can make those ideas a reality and, and have events happen in real time and engage people both in the real world and on their, on their technological and social media platforms just to enrich the entire experience and provide greater connectivity. I mean, it's, it's something that's very exciting to see what's going to happen in the future. But that being said, you know, every business has their core money-making business and the areas where they can stretch a little and be a little creative and innovative. Now, hopefully there's a balance between both. But as you were just discussing, I mean, how often when you do meet a client do you try to push your bread and butter, you know, income earning uh, services versus developing a solution for that for that client, bespoke solution for that client. Yeah, that's 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 a tough one because uh, in in general, yes, um, if th th this is the an, an issue because of the industry in itself. Um, the event industry is a service industry. So if a if an event agency, PR agency or big agency uh, wants to do an event, they consider suppliers as, as service providers. So they don't look at it as products, they look at it 
this is what I have as cool idea. Can you develop this for me? Right. Well, we want to build products because if you don't build products, ultimately, first of all, your, your lead time is quite long. Mm -hmm. uh, secondly, it, it costs much more money because you have to start developing it. Sure. And there's always the risk that you won't make it or it breaks at the event, which is terrible. Mm -hmm. So products make the whole experience of the event uh, a lot better. But so there's that balance between telling the clients, this is what we have, this is what you want, and how are we going to go from A to B and still have that same experience? Right. As we um, have more products uh, and more clients, of course, we get more standard products that are being requested um, because there's still only a few percent of the brands that are really leading mm -hmm. um, in, in new experiences. And many others, uh, they actually like what has been used before, just change the, the, the key visuals or change a little bit the, the, the features and, sure. and you're fine. And among those clients, I mean, I, I can certainly see one client saying, I want the solution that's proven to work that you've used in the past. That's, <clears throat> excuse me, that's what I'd like to use for the event versus the client that, you know, is a little more pushing of the boundaries and saying, I want something really interesting, unique and innovative for this event. Is there, is there a percentage in terms of uh, the, the, what the clients ask you for? Are they more, um, more towards the stable, the st proven uh, Actually, no. Um, to be honest, every client wants something new yeah. and innovative. Sure. And so it... How it goes, it, 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 it usually starts from, we want to do something really cool, really exciting. This is some ideas, or do you have any ideas? And then we have to talk about budgets. And once the budget kicks in, then or that discussion starts, then basically they go quickly to standard products. Right. Uh, and so it's, it's just a way of um, trying to show that what you have done actually can excite people to a maximum already. Mm -hmm. um, so, but yes, um, it, it's, it's challenging in the beginning. Sure. Over time, it's easier. Now, I imagine this, you know, the service you guys provide uh, or the experience you provide is very new to a lot of the, the customers and clients you'd be working with. You know, without just saying, oh, they all love it. What's the general uh, reaction that your clients have after an event is over, they've seen how their their customers have engaged with your with your experience and with your service, and they've also got uh, all that data at the end of it. What what generally is their feedback? Well, usually they come back, which uh, <laughs> means that they somebody likes it liked right. it. Um, but we also have, I mean, this is an internal process of our of our project team. We have an evaluation form, and so we, we want to make sure. Um, I mean, form, it's actually digital. <laughs> we couldn't make it <laughs> uh, uh, paper. But we have an evaluation uh, process, and we ask the client afterwards what they thought about it. Um, and, and we get pretty good scores on many things. Usually when, when somebody's less excited, it's, it's probably because one of the products did not work particularly for that type of events. Mm -hmm. But we've had other uh, events where it works better. And so we have, we're learning as well as we go. Right. And, and, and so besides products, we're offering many more advice to the clients today mm -hmm. about what we believe will work or will not work at right. their events. Right. Having so much experience in past events. Yes, yes, yes. It, it just builds up. Now, as is the case uh, so often with, with startups, you know, you, you hear of startups having to pivot. You know, they had their initial idea on what their service should be and what the problem that they're trying to solve is. And then as they developed and grew and accessed a, a given market, they realized that, you know, they had to change a bit what their service was or they m maybe misjudged what the problem was and they had to pivot a little bit. Has, you know, did Let's Face encounter that or from the get-go did you know what problem you were solving? And, Unfortunately, and <laughs> I did uh, have to change. Um, but uh, it's a good change in a way because it's, um, we were originally focused on, on, on a different market. 
So we started, uh, we wanted to do event software, but we started in clubs, like fitness clubs and, and, and all kinds of uh, sports clubs. Mm -hmm. um, and we thought that would work. Uh, the issue we encountered in China is that most fitness club owners don't really want their, their guests to come often. So they actually want just to sell the, 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 the fitness um, um, memberships. Right. So it was a more of a promotion um, market than it was actually an engagement and, and community market. Mm -hmm. So... That's when we um, we started doing events ourselves just to prove that the concept worked. Mm -hmm. And it worked. And then it, it dawned on me just after a year or two, like maybe we should target event companies mm -hmm. instead of uh, targeting the locations. Right. So we actually changed from locations to, to, to agencies. So that's a pretty big change. Sure. Uh, it doesn't change from, um, from the, the product point of view and the vision point of view. It's mm -hmm. just a change in, in, in target. And so, yes, we, we changed. And then the first... Mm -hmm pivot that we really had was when we were asked for a trade fair and we um, we checked in 8,000 people with, with tablets um, and it went very smooth and everybody was super excited and it had never been done before in China mm. on that size and we got noticed and, and that's when we started uh, having all the backlog of products that we built right. getting interested in, in, in the event industry. Wow. So, and I, I noticed from uh, some of your social media outlets that you've worked with some pretty notable companies here in China. Um, you know, you've worked with uh, Chao Tai Fook, which I believe... That was last week, yes. Which I believe is a large uh, jewelry yes, uh, yes. Uh, store chain here in, in, in China, perhaps the biggest in, in Asia. Um, I believe one, so, one of the yes, biggest? yes, yeah. yes. And you've worked with the Beijing or a prominent uh, a magazine in Beijing. Uh, can you, you know, let us know some other clients that you've worked with and then after that how you go about securing them? I'm, I'm sure some come to you, but do you, do you prospect at all for, for clients? And yes. if so, how? Um, well, it's, of course, very different from trade fair and the brand industry. So talking about the premium brands, which you mentioned, um, in general, uh, we work through an agency. Mm -hmm. uh, so like um, Chota Fuk or, or, or the Beijinger, um, that was uh, a smaller event, which we did directly for them. But actually, there was uh, for Chota Fuk, there was a PR agency involved. Mm -hmm. And for most of the events we do, like Adidas, uh, did Nike, we, we've, we've worked with Mercedes, uh, I mean, a lot of BMW and, and that kind of big big brand names. Mm -hmm. um, it's nine out of times, if not 10 out of times, it's actually an event agency or PR agency that we work with closely. Right. But we're often also um, con in contact with the brand, but then it's more about the data, not so much about, about the products, mm -hmm. because the brand wants ultimately their data in and data sure. out, so yeah. the analytics. And do you pri provide that to the agency at, at after an event and then they put it in their package, they deliver it to their client, or do you provide it directly to the, the brand? Well, that's where we have an event management system, and so we can give access to anyone who is allowed to get access. So the brand could request not for the agency not to have it I or see. to have it, or the agency could can manage internally who gets access and who not. Right. So, yeah. so primarily you're prospecting or lack thereof is via relationships with agencies and they bring to you you know projects and clients that they've secured so the, you the, let's face doesn't spend too much time you know sa on sales and prospecting uh, no we we actually do sell, yeah. spend quite some time on 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 sales but the sales is usually going to either the organizers of the event which could be an agency or could be a trade fair organizer right. conference organizer this is all, all possible uh, or to keep the relationship with the agency so they don't forget you right. uh, when they have a new project because they have projects every day. Sure. And so it's, it's good that they think about you uh, because very often, because of the number of products we have now, uh, they think about you, but they forget about the fact that you have one product that would fit that event. Right. And so we do need to keep on constantly selling 
but these days, I think over um, 50%, if I'm not mistaken, uh, of agencies actually contact us wow. uh, directly for new projects. So you're beginning to build a, a fairly good reputation yes, on the yes, scene here. Yes. Um, now with agencies, I mean, just to, before we move on, do you ever come up against, you know, some of the larger agencies offer in-house solutions, not the same as Let's Face, but they attempt a, a, a similar concept, which is customer engagement at events and, and data collection and things like that. Uh, is that something that you you combat when when pitching or working with agencies that they might have their own in-house solutions for, for that sort of thing? Sure, it, it happens. Um, and I mean, either they have their in-house uh, digital team that can develop some simpler applications, mm -hmm. or uh, they will look for a digital partner to provide a, a custom application for the event. Mm -hmm. um, let, let's put it differently. I mean, their event has to happen, whether Let's Face delivers the product or not. So they have to look around for solutions. Mm -hmm. uh, that does not mean that uh, for us it's always difficult to convince them to work with us, uh, but it really depends on, on time and budgets and, and expectation. If it's too much of a service-directed uh, product, then they might go and do something themselves right. because it's it's not reusable. I see. Uh, if it's much more going in the direction of standardizations, mm -hmm. then it often makes sense to work with us. Okay. So as we just said, you know, um, you guys have just uh, last week finished an event for Chow Tai Fook, which is a very high-profile, huge brand here. Uh, through our discussion uh, prior to the show, you know, it seemed like things were really moving forward with Let's Face. I want to shift now, if we can, to talking a little bit about the experience um, of setting up a company here in Shanghai and China, and then also where you guys are right now in terms of funding, in terms of expansion plans. We, we touched on it a bit briefly before, but um, can you tell us uh, can, you know, kind of where you guys are at? Yeah, right now we're um, um, from a funding point of view. So it's the, the Series A that we, we secured uh, about a year ago. Mm -hmm. um, so we grew the company from, let's say, 10 people to about 30, 35 right now. Wow. If you, if you uh, include... Uh, the two new offices that we opened last year. Uh, we, we now have three offices, opening a fourth one this year. Uh, we have an office in Beijing uh, with uh, a handful of people. We also have an office in, in Belgium um, because what turned out is that uh, most of our clients uh, in China are global clients. Mm -hmm. uh, many, many of them are European clients. They liked what they what we did here, and now they're asking if we can do things back home mm. uh, in Germany, in France, in Holland, in in UK. Right. And so we've uh, decided to set up a, an office in um, in Belgium because uh, that's where I'm from, and it makes it central. It's central of Europe, still quite easy to uh, to manage uh, the European market from there. Um, and uh, my next um, uh, goal is to actually secure a Series B or a next round of funding which I'm actively pursuing already for six months, right. um, for building primarily the European markets, uh, secondly, the U.S. market. Right. And what, what's the, you know, we, we talk about securing VC rounds. In terms of, uh, you know, the cash flow position of the company, are, are you guys able to stand alone as a business and VC is more of a funding expansion? Or, you know, how does that um, dynamic work for you guys right well, now? Well, yeah, so the, the, the interesting thing about funding, I mean, this is the third time that we, we, we raise, I mean, twice a seat seed funding and then now a, a series A is that you always um, become profitable just before um, actually um, needing the money to expand. So mm -hmm. right now we're we're still in the phase that we're almost profitable because we're, we've expanded from 10 to 35 people. Right. Um, so the expense gone up a lot and we're 
pretty much reaching it, reaching it as I speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, now we want to go to the next expansion, and then for the next year we'll be losing money again. But <laughs> uh, we'll we'll pretty much it's it's called an investment. Right. Uh, so yes, no, that's um, we we could stand on our own easily. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done it two times uh, in the past. Uh, but for me, it's it's more about investing to to scale. To scale, yes. right? Now you mentioned um, you know setting up a few other other offices around the world. Is Shanghai still the focus for Let's Face? I mean, it's got the largest presence in terms of staff by by a long shot. Do you see a long term, uh, you know, that Shanghai would be the long term headquarters and center of business for Let's Face, or is it seeming like there's a lot of interest coming out of Belgium, Europe, and and other places? Well, the the clients definitely are not all in Shanghai. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the big challenge with um, big brands is that the decision is often taken in New York or in London, and and then they glo- globally will roll out a program. Mm-hmm. So we, we will need to be closer to our clients from a sales and marketing per- point of view, mm-hmm. also a little bit from project point of view. But when it comes to to the development uh, of the products, the ideas, and, and the size of the market, China, in my view, will always be the center. Right. And, and and one of the, the the interesting things about China is, is, is actually that you can easily test new things, which mm-hmm. I said before. Uh, which you don't have in Belgium because it's, it takes a long time. Is that because of the enthusiasm of everyone who gets in front of the experience of, of Let's Face? I think it's also because everybody's in China trying to find his own way to, to be different. Right. Uh, and, uh, and so everybody wants to take a chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as they can afford it, it's, it's okay. Now, we spoke uh, before the show again about the difference between uh, foreign clients, um, foreign businesses, and, and Chinese clients and customers. Um, can you talk a little bit about your experience? Why, why let's face, uh, you know, is is at least at this stage in the company, more uh, working more with uh, foreign funded or foreign owned companies, and kind of what the the barriers to working with more Chinese customers are, and how you guys are, are approaching that moving forward. Well, um, for us, um, there's a few reasons, but but working with with global companies, I would say Fortune 500 type type companies. Uh, makes it a, l- a little bit easier for us. Um, the reason is that um, they, they, they really, um, it's more about uh, a long-term partnership that they're trying to find with a lot of these clients. They value a lot of uh, uh, the data, which is not always valued by Chinese uh, clients in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also it's, uh, and that's a strategic uh, decision, is that um, it's easier to convince uh, a Chinese client to follow uh, a foreign brand than the other way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now that we have secured quite a lot of uh, foreign brands and done events with it, it's quite easy for, for us now to sell to Chinese uh, brands right. because they liked what they saw. Sure. Yeah. Now, in terms of the experience of working with these clients, now I don't want you to, uh, to get yourself in trouble here, but when, when we talk about working with foreign multinational brands versus local uh, Chinese brands, when you have that meeting, that creative meeting, that, that, that business planning session where you talk about what you're going to deliver, how you're going to deliver it, you know, the, what's going to come out of the back end, w- is there any difference between you know, what the two are, are focusing on, what they want from it? You mentioned that they're not so data heavy, but I- is, it, is, there a, is it a more difficult process with, with one or the other? Um, I would say more difficult. I think it's different. Um, with foreign clients, um, let's say they have very often more a stronger opinion and idea about what they want, mm-hmm. um, which is great in innovation. You can come up with new ideas together and so on. But on the Chinese client side, which is also a, a great thing, is they, they listen to more 
to your advice. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that it's it, it's um, it's you get more soundboard uh, from one, but on the other hand, you're the soundboard. Mm-hmm. So it's just a different way of of, of working uh, with different types of clients. Now this said, I think most of our um, uh, foreign clients actually manage projects by local Chinese people here on on site. So it's a combination very often. Right. So you get and 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 definitely some of the the, the more local. Uh, brands, they they are trying to find ways to to differentiate themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just more like a, a, a discussion rather than this is what I want right. and, and and what you think about it. Be- because I have this perhaps mistaken view that uh, you know Chinese companies ha- are, are so cash rich at the moment that you know they just want the best solution available. And in in a meeting like that. I'm sure this isn't the case. I know it's much harder than this, but I just see them being like, well, we'll take your top service. Thank you very much, and, and we'll see how it goes. Is there any truth to that? Or, I mean, are the Chinese brands more, you know, kind of have larger budgets for something like this, or, or is that just... Yeah, I think the results? budgets are larger mm-hmm. uh, in general. Um, I mean, not always, uh, but that doesn't mean that they spend more money. Right. Uh, very often, they just do more events. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's a different way of, of spending the budget. And the, the challenge with that budget is that um, Chinese um, uh, purchasing departments, for example, are very conscious about the price of, of everything. Mm-hmm. And so although they have maybe larger budgets, they're very, very selective in, in spending money on specific services. They try so to do more with those budgets. Yes. Well, yeah. and also if you do a check-in, even if you do it really cool and interesting, and they still compare you with a traditional check-in. Right. And so you need to match somehow that budget. Otherwise, uh, they're wondering, is that where we should innovate? Right, I see. Okay, so uh, again, I want to shift up a bit to the experience of living and working in Shanghai. You've been here for 12, 12 yeah, years? Something like that, yes. So in, in China years, that's about 100 years in terms of the change that, that has probably gone on during that time. Um, what's it like? What was it like to first begin working in China and, and how has it changed and, and what is it like now? Well, it's it's changing every day, so it's um, you, it's hard to keep track of, of all the changes. But um, I I, th- I believe that when I first came, the big difference that it is with now is that people were much more interested to learn from me. Now I'm actually learning a lot from my clients, including Chinese uh, local clients, mm-hmm. and and that was because the 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 they are um, a lot of the, the the dynamics here. It's all about improvement and change and and and. And that is something that I think they now have a better grasp on how to get somewhere, or people actually believe that they know how to get there. Mm-hmm. And so the the, 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 um, the the discussion becomes different. Before it was more like a teacher-student mm-hmm. relationship. Now it's more a peer, peer-to-peer relationship, I which, which I think is a good uh, evolution in, 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 in China. Sure. Mm-hmm. And what about your, your life, maybe away from uh, the startup scene? You know, how has it changed? Obviously, there's a lot more amenities for, you know, for, for foreigners living here now than there probably was 12 years ago, although the pollution issue might have, uh, m- might have gotten worse. You know, why do you like living in Shanghai? Why do you choose to, to stay here? Well, if, if, if you do, I, I don't <laughs> no, I, I do. <laughs> no, I do. I do. Uh, pollution is, of course, one of the the challenges. Um, so aside that problem, um, no, I, I I believe China is is just uh, such a unique uh, environment to to actually grow business in, mm-hmm. uh, and that is because of that change, that opportunity. Uh, it's really about um, 
finding constantly as an entrepreneur it's 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 an environment where you have to challenge yourself every day mm -hmm. and and i like that but and you don't have to do it alone there's a lot of people around you that actually want the same thing mm -hmm. so that 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 willingness to to figure out what's next is something that and i don't want to say anything bad about europe but in many places uh, people have become more complacent and 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 you don't have that here uh, as much and and that's what i like about china mm. it's as an entrepreneur it's it's really where you can uh, thrive yeah i mean it, this, we we've talked about it on the podcast but podcast before and you know we we vaguely described it as energy but certainly you know as you said there's so there's so uh, many people motivated and and into what's going on and there's so much ambition uh you know we talk about it in the intro to the to the podcast it's just that it, it feels like, and, and when I return home, again, I don't want to be uh, down on, on Canada either. And then certainly there's pros and cons to both. But it just feels like when you're on the ground here, when you're on the street, when you're in a working environment, everyone kind of knows that they're in a unique time and it's not going to last forever in the way it is. And everyone kind of wants to... And, and that, you know, that carrot is dangling in the air. Everyone knows the China story and knows the potential that it has for their respective businesses and companies. And it seems like the, you know, they're just running as fast as they can to, to get that. Is that, do you get that feeling as well? Or am yeah. I? No, I do. And, and you just need to learn to run very fast. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the biggest challenge. Right. Um, very yeah. competitive here. It's, it's very competitive, but mm -hmm. it's, it's also whenever you think you figured it out. And I mean, the next day you, you figured that out that you didn't. Does Let's Face have uh, competitors here, either local Chinese companies or uh, you know Western companies? Um, well, um, of course, we um, we have some competition. Um, uh, very often, there's competition in from uh, from as I said, digital agencies right. um, that uh, come up with other solutions. On the other hand, um, the competition overseas is bigger than the competition in China. I see. So I think. Um, we don't encounter too much competition in, in the total uh, platform and, and solution that we provide. Uh, it's more on an individual product base. Right. So if there's like one product, um, like a lucky draw, for example, mm -hmm. somebody else has another digital lucky draw, then we will compete on that one product. Right. But as a holistic experience, there's no one that really provides the level of... Um, not you know, what not in China mm -hmm. uh, that I have encountered. Mm -hmm. I mean, some, some companies um, come close in the the number of products they have, mm -hmm. uh, but not so much in the platform uh, they, they provide. Right. Uh, if you look at companies overseas, yes, that's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a number in Europe and in the US that actually are in the same uh, level, um, but then they focus usually on one specific industry. Mm -hmm. uh, very good in conferences, for example. There's, there's quite a number of conference uh, solutions out there. Right, right. Well, I've got to think that you know, having been here so long and really being in on the ground floor in this type of service in this industry, you know, you've got a, a very bright future and, and a few steps ahead of any competitors that might come by uh, later on. Now, I wanted to, uh, to ask you about something. I, I saw a picture of your office on, on your website, and uh, I noticed there was a beer tap and a bunch of people drinking beer and cheersing in the middle of your office. Now, I noticed it was uh, a vedette draft tap so i see you're staying true to your your belgian uh, your, your roots your belgian roots um but you don't see too many beer taps in in too many offices i certainly wish i had one in mine what's uh, what's the story behind that 
Well, um, the story is, I mean, first I'm Belgium. Uh, right. And so I think that's where it starts. I, I love beer and, and I want to promote it as much as possible. It's It started a few years back. Uh, with Kaiba and some other uh, beer bars uh, that that came along, but but for me it's always been part of the Belgian culture, and I think it's it's uh, it's important uh, for me to share some of that with with anyone that that actually um, I come in contact with, which whether it's uh, it's the staff that can that really enjoys it, that as you said, uh, but also our our. Uh, our clients, our partners, uh, suppliers. A lot of people just come by, have a beer, and and it it just um, yeah it it makes it a lot easier to um, to have people uh, talk to you. Right. So it's a lot more casual, and and you have it next to next to the office. So that means that the big benefit as a as a startup for us was that we got more clients coming to us than we had to go to the clients. It's brilliant. And uh, it's well, in in a way, it saves a lot of time and money as sure. well. <laughs> but it's it was a good experience. It's yes. probably it's probably a very worthwhile investment if looked at from that angle. But I'm I'm sure the staff appreciates it appreciate it from uh, from their own perspective as well. No, I'm, I must say that uh, it's only open after six p.m. because we don't want to have the staff drinking the whole right. day, of course. So it's it's pretty. Uh, <laughs> well, if anything, it's a good way to keep the staff there working uh, working late. Yes. Um, and and as I mentioned, the draft is Vedette. Is there any chance of of, of doing doing some sort of event with Vedette in China? I know they're they're well, growing in popularity. Yeah, here. we're working closely with uh, Mortgat uh, uh, and and also Van der Geten, which are two big suppliers of uh, Belgian beers in uh, in, okay. in uh, Shanghai or in China. Great. So Mortgat has about twelve different beers, and I hope I don't get the count wrong. But uh, and <laughs> and and I think uh, Van der Geten has uh, probably seventy different beers. Wow. So we we have close cooperations and and actually. Uh, are working with them also in the bars that they they do. So one of the the things, um, if I may, so that that we did uh, recently was we made a, a beer coaster, uh, which we put in a lot of bars on Yongkang Road mm-hmm. um, to actually attract people to come and work for us. And so it was oh, uh, free free beer or don't pay for beer anymore. And uh, and then you could apply on the coaster in the back, and 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 send it in, and then we would. Look at your resume. Now, those are the kind of things you want to see from a creative agency, yes. for sure. Um, and you'll have to send me some tickets to those uh, beer events if you do any in the future. That sounds great. Um, so we're coming up on the end of the show. Before we, we close it down, I wanted to get your perspective. You know, this whole podcast is about the startup and technology scene in Shanghai and to China to a, a lesser extent. Um, but it, it, it's... It, from my point of view, it seems like a bit of a different vibe from startup uh, scenes in other places around the world. Um, you know, having been here for as long as you have and being in the industry you're in, you know, what, what's your take on the startup scene, how it's growing, the interest in it, the infrastructure in terms of funding and, uh, you know, human resources, cap- capital and things like that? You know, what's the status of it and where, where do you see it heading in the future? Well, well... Quickly, I, I do believe that uh, there's many more people now that want to be part of a startup, uh, both from uh, founding one mm-hmm. as well as from wanting to join one. Yeah. Um, and this has been a recent, uh, maybe five years uh, uh, development. In the last years, you could see it a lot. So even people coming from overseas to China to, to be part of something new. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I think, um, is a big difference. Now, for the entrepreneur and the founder who wants to set up uh, something, I don't think uh, it's much easier than 10, 15 years ago or 10, 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just different. Right. So I think it's easier to find uh, foreign clients here. Uh, it's easier to find uh, staff, especially foreigners, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, if you want to hire them. 
um, and we do. Uh, so and and but it's also easier to connect uh, because of the events and other other opportunities that was more Chinese. 10, 15 years ago. Right. So it's a more international environment, especially in, in Shanghai, mm -hmm. which gives you more opportunity to, to find your, your focus, find your niche, and so on. Right. But the difficulty hasn't gone away because now you have a lot more competitors, uh, you have a lot more tools that people have to make it. So it's it's um, people can set up a startup without a lot less money. So it's, it's a lot more challenging mm -hmm. to make your mark. So I think it was easier 10, 15 years to be to be noticed. Right. Uh, now it's it's more difficult, but at the same time, there's more things around to make it happen. Right. And as we discussed briefly uh, before the show, you know there are a lot of foreign VCs entering the market here. And, and again, we talk about the ecosystem and the infrastructure for startups. But you were you were saying that they are are primarily interested in Chinese owned and Chinese uh, you know developed companies. Uh, tip uh, primarily uh, directed towards the Chinese market. Yes, and so in, in terms of finding funding for maybe foreign-founded companies here, you've got to you know perhaps search elsewhere. Yeah, yeah it's um, it, that's the strategy we had. Um, uh, I at, at the start, like four or five years, four years ago, I, I really approached quite a number of, of investors locally mm -hmm. um, and asked very simple question. Um, uh, whether they were investing in foreign uh, entrepreneurs and mm. everybody said yes but then when i asked how many have you uh, very few uh, actually did mm. invest in more than one uh, and usually it was in a, in a later phase uh, or it was because they had a very good relationship with that person for one reason or another right so i decided early on not to spend too much of my effort in trying to convince um, local uh, venture capitalists whether they're foreign or chinese but local in china um, to um, to invest in, in Let's Face. Right. So from the very f start on, I, I, I looked for overseas investment. Mm -hmm. and, and then you find a lot of investors that aren't here yet, mm -hmm. uh, but that see China as a huge opportunity. And either they, they, they just want to try something out, mm -hmm. uh, or they basically, um, it's aligned to one of their other business, which is in Asia. So they, s they see it as an opportunity to, to do more things here. Right. Uh, so... There's always investors outside China that are looking at China in some kind of interest. Mm -hmm. And that's where, as a foreigner, it's much easier to convince them uh, to invest in you. I see. And that was my strategy, which worked out. Right. So perhaps for, for those foreign founders that are looking to raise money with, with a, a startup or a business in China, going to those uh, VCs that are outside of China that are interested in gaining a foothold in some way is a more, you know, it's an approach more likely to have success than approaching the VCs that are actually here and really on the scene looking for local local domestic companies. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think it, it depends on the stages. So if it's very, very early stage, maybe you can find uh, uh, a, a personal, uh, I mean, a, a, f a friend or, or, or an angel investor that wants to just take a shot at it. Right. But once you want to go in, in larger largest sums of capital, I think it's better to go uh, back home, basically, right. and try and look, right. at, look for it there. I see. All right. Before we're just coming up on the end of the show, uh, but before we let you go, there's two questions we always ask our guests. Uh, the first one is, and, and perhaps extra relevant to uh, Let's Face, because I saw from your website you're looking at uh, hiring some, some new people to, to further your expansion. What are three pieces of advice that you would give uh, you know, a young person or even an, an older person who's come to China or considering coming to China and Shanghai to get involved in the startup and tech industry, whether that's to found a business or to get involved uh, with a company like yours? What, what are three pieces of advice that you think would help them on their way? 
Um, well, um, I think uh, don't try to change China. I think that would be one of the Ex things that I... Excellent advice. I've never I, heard that one. But yes, um, because it's not going to happen. Um, I've tried it. <laughs> Um, I also think um, if you want to um, compete, try not to compete with Chinese. Uh, so basically, they're always faster, they're always cheaper mm -hmm. uh, in providing services. So you have to differentiate yourself with uh, some innovation or, uh, or some other way to, to, to get noticed. So I think uh, these were two advices that I, I would definitely see. Um, I have another one, which is, uh, is, is, is pretty much about... Um, uh, thinking, thinking. So it's, there's always this saying, saying like, "Think global, uh, act local." Right. Um, and I have a very strong opposition of that when it comes to China. So I, I actually believe you should do the exact, exact opposite. So instead of thinking global, uh, you should really think more local, but mm -hmm. act global. That's why you go and look for VCs outside. Mm -hmm. Maybe go and look for employees outside. Right. Go and look for markets even outside China. So you have to look at what's out there. That's my strategy. And even, and even clients, and that's how you've secured some of your, your yes, local clients. Yes, so go and look for global clients. Right. Go and look for global markets. Go and look for global employees right. that want to come here uh, from China. Uh, and then think local. That basically means that you need to uh, have the benefits of China uh, to compete with everybody else. Sure. So let's try to get a cost-effective way, try to get uh, basically fast products turnaround. Uh, one of the things that, that, that uh, I, I also have as an advice very often, uh, which I did, is uh, in the West they always tell you you have to focus to succeed. And, and I actually think most Chinese companies diversify to succeed. Mm -hmm. So they have many different either products or industries or something like that. And that's what we did with Let's Face. We're focused on the industry, but we have many, many products uh, as a platform. Right. And, and so there's always something that somebody likes. Mm -hmm. uh, focus is dangerous in China if you don't have the capital to make it happen. Right. Well, that's, that's great advice. And once again, China is turning things on their heads and, and you know, forcing people to think and act differently here. So final question, uh, changing it up uh, uh, again. In terms of advice you've received, just that regarding working, living, anything regarding here in Shanghai and China, what's the best piece of advice you've received throughout your career that has helped you in some way, has allowed you to have the proper perspective, has, you know, just something, the best piece of advice that's benefited you on your, on your journey here? Um, well, there's not just one. Uh, there's many. Yeah. But um, I think um, just there's two things. There's, there's practical advice. And, and then there's more emotional advice, uh, like things like take a date day to day. Right. So don't 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 get too hang up with what's happening because mm -hmm. it's going to change tomorrow anyway again. So I think a lot of people that have advised me that knew China uh, even before I was here, they advised me just to go with the flow right. um, and don't try to fight it. Uh, and I think that's something that I've learned to do. Um, over time and, and just adapt to the situation. Mm -hmm. um, from a more pragmatic uh, point of view, there's, there's advice like uh, your first hire should be your accountant. Uh, <laughs> you make sure you, you get some people around you that you trust. Uh, try to find the right partners. Mm -hmm. But these are things you find in books. But, but, but for me, um, I've always said it's, you, you should, you should uh, somehow make um, your business very rational here. So try to find the right people on the right spot mm -hmm. quickly um, and then be emotional about what you want to build. Right. Well, I think that's great advice. I mean, having lived here for a few years myself, 
you can't really you can't fight the stream here in China. You know, going with the flow is fantastic advice, and and just trying to, you know, in that flow develop something, have the life that that you want. And I certainly think it's available here. It's just a matter of finding your niche, finding your way of doing it, and and then really going for it like everybody else is. So. Thank you so much for uh, joining us uh, today, Pascal. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Um, Let's Face sounds like a very interesting uh, business and company, and uh, I'm sure I'll uh, I'll interact with uh, your products and services and experience uh, in the not-too-distant future at some of the events uh, ongoing here in Shanghai. So uh, where can people get a hold of you or Let's Face if they want to learn more about you guys? Um, the easiest um, is... Um, and thanks for having me first. Uh, <laughs> but the easiest uh, way is... Um, is actually uh, just our website, letsface.com. Mm-hmm. So L-E-T-S-F-A-C-E.com. Right. Um, and then you can find uh, our uh, our address where our bar is. So you, you know the way to the bar. Uh, and uh, yeah, all the information is, is normally on the website. So. Great. And uh, are you guys also across uh, social media in China? Oh, yeah, of course. This yeah. is uh, the most important. And my marketing uh, manager would kill me not saying <laughs> this. But uh, no, uh, we are on, on Facebook, on, on Twitter, on okay. Instagram, and, and also WeChat, Weibo, and so on. So uh, you can find us uh, on many, many, pretty much uh, everywhere these days, yes. Great. Uh, and we are Tech in Shanghai. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Tech in Shanghai and, of course, up on iTunes. If you enjoyed the show, uh, please subscribe. And uh, we look forward to seeing you guys next time. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the Tech in Shanghai podcast. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Tech in Shanghai for everything tech from Shanghai and China. See you next time.